Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get on some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the misty, motivated, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I'm feeling meticulous today, Chris. <laughs> feeling meticulous. I've got my Encoded Designs t-shirt on, or my polo, even. Mm. That's how meticulous I'm feeling. I, I bathed in everything. <gasps> bathed in everything. Impressive. Yeah, I know. All right, well, today, yes. today we're going to talk about um, game story engine and everything in between, kind of like the, the differences between game and story and if uh if D is a strategy game or if it's a narrative engine it's probably going to be both but before we get to that let's talk about some announcements sean what is the first thing that we're going to talk about something that came up that will be of interest to fans of magic specifically but also people that play D in public is that the uh, wpn which is the wizards play network has asked all wpn sanctioned stores to um do something that a lot of service organizations and a lot of other volunteer organizations around the country have been asked to do recently. And that is do background checks on your volunteers. Um, so they added some sections to their uh, WPN agreement terms and conditions, which includes uh, statements such as to protect players of all ages to the extent permitted by law you agree to conduct background checks to meet your obligations under section 15 on your staff as well as those who engage with and interact with the public mm. and everything in both the wizards article which we've linked in our show notes and all the other um legalese in in this document refers to magic the gathering play specifically but someone asked hey D is played at these stores as well and dms are kind of staff members volunteers that deal with the public um is this going to affect those people as well and chris Lindsay, who is the um, he, I don't know his exact title, but he does a lot with Adventures League and he also does a lot with licensing of D&D products. And he said, yes, it will, but he didn't know the extent yet. So that's something that's going to be discussed. But it's just something that is, you know, in the public conscience now with, uh, you know, with all the problems that we sometimes see in society mm -hmm. of acceptance, but also of, predatory behavior so uh, it's something that will maybe affect game stores conventions public play spaces and so on so it's something that you know we should keep an eye on in the future as this story moves forward i agree uh, i heard some hug a blue about all that stuff too i'll be uh, interested in seeing what happens next mm -hmm. uh what do you have chris for an announcement so there's a Kickstarter going on right now. It's called uh, Fairy Fire. It's a fifth edition supplement. So Fairy Fire is a bestiary and supplement expansion intended for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, this Kickstarter wanted to explore the world of the fairy wilds in more depth. So they made a uh, court full of 10 wild, dangerous, and chaotic fae, along with 20 new and unique monsters that you can add to your campaign bestiary. And it's also got an additional 20 magic items to fill your players with wonder and avarice. So the, the base edition of the book, uh, Fairy Fire, it'll be full cover. Uh, full color, hardcover, and feature approximately 104 pages of content. 
It will match the same dimensions as any other 5th edition book so that they all can line up pretty on your bookshelf. But I feel like the most compelling reason to go look into this project is the art. So all of this art looks like it's straight out of the 80s and 90s, uh, like a glam rock band. And it's got a ton of highly colorful art pieces that reek of like neon glow. It's amazing. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's so good. I'll have to definitely take a look at that. Yeah, it's a, it, it's really um, very neon pink in a lot of ways and very... Uh, it very much evokes the idea of fairies and a little bit of like labyrinth with David Bowie. Nice. Like it's got some of that, that feel to it. It's pretty great. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, what's next? I had a, I had another announcement. Um, the dragon talk, the official D and D podcast from wizards of the coast is in the process of talking with all of the adventures league admins uh, already up on the wizards website is the interview with Greg Marks and Bill Benham. Uh, just yesterday, I saw the live interview with content managers, Claire Hoffman and Travis Woodall, and I can only assume that Alan Patrick and Lisa Chen, the community managers, will be up soon after that. So if you're into the Adventures League, or even if you just want to hear uh, what makes the Adventures League tick and how to get involved or how to work for the Adventures League, you can check out those interviews. Very cool. Um, The last thing that we have is, is D&D's Adventures League moving to a milestone XP system? Sean, why do you why do you think this might be a, a, the case? Well, I'm, I think it might be the case because I've seen people talking about it, and it was pretty much um, confirmed on Twitter by different folks, by Adventures League folks, by Chris Lindsay. Um, in Xanathar's Guide, if you look in the DM's tool section, one of the sections talks about shared campaign advancement. It says, in a shared campaign, characters gain levels not by accumulating experience points, but by reaching experience checkpoints. The system rewards every character and player for taking part in a play session. So rather than getting experience points, you would get one checkpoint for each hour of an adventure that you play. And not that you play, but that it was designed for. So if it was designed to be a four-hour adventure, at the end of that adventure, you would get four checkpoints. Uh, even if it took you 20 hours to play. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the adventure had planned for. And then so after a certain amount of checkpoints, you get a level rather than counting out experience points. And this is interesting in a lot of ways, uh, but specifically for what we are about to talk about, which is, is D&D a strategy game? Is D&D an engine for storytelling? Is it all of those things? But But more interestingly, what aspects of the game change depending on what kind of focus that your game takes when your game takes a very mechanical strategy based miniatures skirmish battle game, what rules are highlighted or what rules are deemphasized as opposed to the other way around. So that's why I wanted to bring this article to uh, this issue to, to light because it looks like, Adventures League is moving in some way in that direction, maybe even for season eight, which will probably start sometime this summer. So if that happens, it'll be interesting to see how the Adventures League handles it. Um, do they go strictly by what was in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, or do they make some sort of modified version? And by doing this, does it take it more toward a story-based engine game? And away from a tactical miniature skirmish strategy game. Well, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, more. let us let us do that. Uh, why don't we just start right away then with that 
particular um topic, right? Like unless we're going to talk about yeah. that later and I didn't see that. Nope, nope. That's that's what I want to get into because I mean, as we've talked about over the life of this podcast, basically, D&D is different things to different people. It's true. For some, it's a game that that's it's a game that's they're very active with. For some people, it's passive entertainment. They don't even care if they play. They would just rather watch other people play. And that's okay. For some people, it's really a cultural identity. You know, they live and breathe D&D and the choices they make in life and the you know, the types of entertainment they're engaged in, uh, the people that they hang out with are, are all wrapped around that game. So we can talk about all of these different things, but I want to focus specifically on this dichotomy. Um, D&D is a strategic game to some. To others, it is a an engine to create some sort of narrative. Uh, they don't need to be mutually exclusive, of course. You can play the game and get both of those things into each session that you play. But there are some considerations within the game where moving toward one inherently moves you further away from the other. So that's what I want to bring up with you, Chris, and get your thoughts on and kind of talk, talk these points through. Cool. So what is the first point that you want to talk about? Well, I, I want you to bring this up because I think this was your... In fact, was... It kind of leads into your uh, a couple of points that you wanted to make, but I thought they fit better underneath this uh, general topic of do dice rolls, rules, procedure, or story beats and dramatic moments have more importance to your play? So yep. that would be a pretty good way to uh, rate the scale of whether you are playing a, uh, a more of the game side of it or the story engine side of it and kind of where you fall on the spectrum. Yep. And one of the things that fits within that is is this discussion we just had previously about experience points uh, versus story-based advancement. If you are playing and you are giving your characters experience points based only on the monsters that they've defeated and therefore making combat the most highly rated part of the game, then you and if you remove that, if you say we're not going to track the experience that way, we're going to do this story based thing and your players get upset by that because they feel like you're you're taking away something that they really want one of the you know one of the triggers in the game that that hits the endorphins in them is we defeat this monster so therefore we should get something for it and that what we get is experience then you're focusing more on that tactical uh the, the tactical part of the game not just by what the players like but you have to build your adventures in such a way that they can get that experience point uh accumulation so there's going to be more monsters to defeat it's an interesting um conversation to have because we were just talking about the adventures thing league thing right where it's now our like it could possibly switch to hours of an adventure equals checkpoints basically and when you accumulate enough checkpoints you advance a level Mm -hmm. in the adventures league situation there are experience point minimums and maximums right now yes yeah, there are also different ways to accumulate experience points. I mean, the most common one is defeating monsters, but there are also story-based awards that bring experience points in Adventures League. Mm-hmm. So really, that shift from experience points for defeating things to a checkpoint system mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense because they're already sort of doing that anyway. There's some, there's very little variance, in, in my opinion, in how many experience points you can actually accumulate in one of these D&D adventures because they have that, that minimum and maximum. Right. You just said that thing about killing monsters where it, if – if the expected thing in the procedures of the rules is you kill a monster, you get experience points. That means that by killing monsters, defeating enemies, you are getting a um, 
you were getting a, a resource, a resource or a, uh, I don't want to call it a resource because experience points aren't necessarily a resource. They're more of a, uh, a milestone checker in a lot of ways. Like I only get my, uh, I only get my level by doing, doing this thing, right? Like I'm doing this thing. Mm -hmm. But if you just switch that to being, um, I will get my experience points if I hit story rewards and there's like a list of story rewards, st like story beats that you're trying to accomplish or goals. I mean, it's still the same thing, but the focus of the play is different because you can still play that game tactically because then it's about achieving those goals, right? So in, in that respect, it's not really any different. Um, Th this is true. As milestones in play, then you're not really looking for specific story points that you're going for you're just looking for those places where story arcs tend to end and we've talked about arcs and campaigns and things like that in the show before so if you don't know what i'm talking about just go back and, and check that out it's that that's what makes it different in my opinion because it's not necessarily about hitting goals at that point to accumulate your resource or you know playing x amount of hours to hit your resource it's about actually waiting for the story to hit resting points mm -hmm. and seeing where you're at at that point and that's that's where to me um you have a difference between story beats and dramatic moments compared to procedure yeah yeah and, you know as you say um even in adventures league and and other adventures currently it's not just monsters there are story awards if you get around the trap without without springing it you get experience points mm -hmm. if you rescue the mayor before she is killed you get experience points um, so it's not just monsters, but still those things are not big, long story beats. Yep. Those are just smaller things you do within the adventure. I think that's what you're saying. Correct. So if you go to, if you go to this new model that's talked, that's talked about in Xanathar's, there is the end of the story. Uh huh. And what you do within that story is completely up to you. It doesn't count on you to kill the monsters. You can go off and do some stuff that the writer of the adventure, whether it's the DM or a third-party writer, comes up with. You can go far beyond that. You're still going to end at that point. So that's where the story dictates that you should be moving forward. Yeah, and that's that. I guess that would be where my um, if I was going to look at this and just talk about the differences and how they actually function as being really different, that that's where it's at, right? Like one is like, do all these things and get your check, uh, get, get your experience points or your check marks. The other one is, is like, just get through the end of this and see what happened and you still get your check marks, right? There you go. Yep. And, and so in a way this is switching from a more strategy game focus of we need to do certain things in order to get the resource, the, you know, the reward, which is kill the monster, do the thing to we're we're in a story where we can do anything. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the story, no matter what, we're still going to advance. Yeah. So now you're turning it from that strategy game into a storytelling engine where the telling of the story is what you're rewarded for, not the smaller things that you do within the game. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with that completely. Like the points, uh, in a lot of ways, what you're doing is you're taking the the reward system and you're turning it from something that's very granular into something that is very, very, very open, mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine. Like I like play like that too. I, I think both styles are are perfectly legit. So oh, absolutely, yeah. And this is not saying one style is better than the other. This is just saying there are different ways to play. Like we said at the beginning, and as you move closer to one, sometimes you by necessity move away from another. Oh, and also both styles of play reward or at least provide different style. 
Because mm -hmm. one is about accomplishing specific things that you know in the background, sort of like, and I don't mean specific, like, as in like you have to kill monster X or whatever, but like killing monsters gives you this, getting around traps gives you that, um, story, story goals gives you this. Where the other one is like, get to the end of the story. It doesn't really matter how you do it. We're going to reward you anyway, just to getting to the end. That's a very much, those are two very different ways to play a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both can be played within the same framework. Uh -huh. You don't have to stop fighting the monsters, right? You can just choose alternate ways to get there. It's true. Yep. And another topic within this same uh, discussion that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks is dealing with character death. Oh, yes. We had that uh, tweet by Adam Koble, who, you know, who uh, said that, you know, the game, do we need to make any changes to the game to make viewers of D&D? more comfortable with character death. And this is the same thing. How if you are playing it as a strict strategy game, then one of the fail states of the game is your character dies. It's true. Now, if you turn death into something that doesn't end the game, but that makes it actually more interesting, then you are moving away from that fail state to a more narrative system where you are the, the death is not actually a bad thing. The death is probably a good thing because it makes the story more interesting. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. And let us clarify real quick, because what you're actually talking about is what if we take the death state of the game, like the mechanic of death and modify it to where your character, when they are quote unquote dead are not actually dead. Something different happens to them. Right. And you know, that could be just being raised from the dead, which is part of the rules of the game, of course. But we're also talking about doing things that have nothing to do with the rules as they are written. Mm -hmm. When you die, your body is possessed by a spirit. And, and that spirit then changes your character's personality to make all the relationships that you've had up to this point, put them in conflict. Yeah, that's that's really cool thing to do. So, so now you're talking about the actual definition of drama, you know, which is desire. You want your life to go on normally being put into peril and you have to figure out how, what's going to be the outcome of that peril in the face of the desire that you've had. It's interesting that you use a spirit possessing because really the, um, the base idea behind it is like you die and you get some sort of consequence, injury, possession, whatever it is that will hinder you, but you can eventually overcome it. Mm -hmm. And then that will feel good when you actually do eventually overcome that. It is creating, like you said, drama. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, if, if you play around with that character death um, aspect of D&D, by making death not a fail state of a game, but more of a plot point within an ongoing story, then you're moving yourself slowly away from the one pole of D and D as a tactical game toward another and vice versa. You know, if, if the story, um, if you say death is death, when your character dies, it is dead, roll up a new one. Um, that just means you quote unquote lost that round, but you have a new character. You're right back in the story with a new character. So you still can have an ongoing story just with a different character. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to the second point then. Now that we have already made a bunch. Um, the idea of uh, using a grid to play a tactical game versus a theater of the mind to allow more in the way of narrative improvisation and flow. Mm -hmm. So 
D&D has an action economy. Like you have a movement, you have an action, and you have a, a bonus action that you can take. When you play on the grid, like that's very delineated. You can see how far you can move. Um, you take your action, you take your bonus action, and then we move into the initiative uh, account to the next person. But as we're doing that, like there is positioning and all that stuff actually matters quite a lot more than when you play theater of the mind. Because when you play theater of the mind, you can get a lot more loosey-goosey. In fact, you kind of need a lot more loosey-goosey with how all that stuff kind of works, especially the positioning of it, because the positioning matters a lot when you're playing on a map. Okay, and let's be clear right now, because I can hear people yelling already, even though this won't be out till next week. Uh, just because you use a grid does not mean you're not telling a cool story. Yeah, I didn't say that at all. Right, and and I just I, I just want to make that clear. We understand that. We get that. What we're trying to say is when, when you go onto a grid like that, it is less likely for you as the DM or even the players to be able to say, you know what, if he was standing here instead of here, something really cool could happen cinematically or story-wise. Um, so let's do that. Let's move the bad guy into this effect or let's move the bad guy out of this effect because it's a better story if we do it that way. You get, you're less able to do that when you're playing on a grid and everyone can see everything very specific. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the the point I want I wanted to make. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, and we, although it's not in our notes, fudging die rolls. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. As as the DM, you know that that that, that that's also a thing because you are, you know, by doing that, you are quote unquote cheating at the game. Whether it be for the players or against the players, mm -hmm. right? There have been times when I know the damage that I rolled would kill the character. And so I did less damage than the die told me so the character would not die. And so as a game, right, I am cheating. That's true. Uh, but as, as a story, the story is more interesting to me if that character is up. Mm -hmm. So... And probably for the player. So I am, you know, I am doing that even though the mechanics of the game tell me not to, the story tells me to. So therefore that's the way I'm going. That's once again, that idea of like, do you want to go with procedures and rules or do you want to go with story beats? Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. Us. And procedures, rules. And you said die rules, mm -hmm. you know, we're at number point number three, Christopher. Oh, so downtime is a mechanic to create story beats. So, the idea of downtime is that it's a resource which can be spent by players to have their characters create things in the story and mechanical impact and possibly story impact. So you want to help your church build a new wing, say you're a cleric. You spend downtime days and the DM creates a scene where you're conversing with the people who are building the new wing. The DM might even give you the option to spend your downtime days to influence the building of the section. Um, so regardless, the section is going to get built because you spent a resource. But because you have this other option, like it gives you the uh, the uh, it lets you create the feature that you want. So it feels like you had a real hand in building it instead of just spending a resource to get the wing built. Um, that is a very different way to think about downtime. Like, I don't think that's a bad way to think about downtime at all. It's a very story-based. You get to really influence the narrative way of, of downtime. I mean, the other way is too, because you get to build your wing and maybe it gives you some sort of bonus. But really here, you're actually creating a thing mm -hmm. in a much more uh, granular fashion. Right. So this can be a role-playing scene if you want. Um, you can have your game master actually 
dungeon master can actually uh, set up the scene and have this conversation with the people who are building it. It doesn't have to be that. You can just say the things that you want to say uh, are built on there. Or, you know, it can also just be a mechanical decision. I mean, you can spend X downtime days to get Y resource. You can play the whole spectrum of the idea of this game. Yep. If you're playing it as a strategy game, it downtime is a resource. And depending on the kind of campaign that your your DM is running, you can use that resource to get actual game mechanical benefits in the future. Learn a new language that you might need at some point. Um, pick up a new skill. Uh, you know, whatever your your DM, uh, create a new magic item for yourself. Whatever your DM allows, uh, you can trade that one resource for another resource. Whereas, if you're going for a more story based game that downtime is still a resource, but it's a narrative resource rather than a mechanical resource. Mm -hmm. So you're trading in the, that resource to have a voice in a bigger voice in the story that's being told by your group or by your campaign. It sounds exceptionally good. All right. <clears throat> Last point, encounter design, DM empowerment. Tell me about it, Sean. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because, you know, when you sit down as a DM or as a creator of adventures or other D&D content, you have to decide how you or your players, you and your players together want to make your game. So if you are a DM who is treating D&D more like a tactical game, or if you have players who prefer that kind of game, it's important that you build your encounters quote unquote fairly, right? You want the encounter to be within that set of guidelines in the DMG where it's not too powerful an encounter that your players will be unfairly overwhelmed, but you also want it to be powerful enough where you can provide them with a challenge either in that encounter itself or over the, the long term with a string of encounters. And if you go outside of those guidelines, you are, again, cheating, quote unquote, cheating, because the game is built to work as as that sort of strategy tactical game. And if I throw a CR 20 monster at a group of first level characters, uh, that's not fair of me as the DM if they're expecting a, quote unquote, fair fight for DMs or players who are more interested in the game as a narrative engine mm -hmm. fairly balanced encounters are not only unimportant they can be boring if every single combat that you play from levels 1 to 20 is very carefully crafted to be exactly enough for the players to handle and not with not too much of a risk of their death that's not great storytelling because in great storytelling, there's always that risk of failure. Mm -hmm. Whether if, you know, if you're watching the movie, someone may die. If you're reading that book, someone may not make it through the you know, realm of terror as they approach the d dungeon of dread. And that's, that's an expectation. That's what keeps you on the edge of your seat. Also, sometimes people might get split up. Sometimes people might get separated. Sometimes people might get harmed or hurt and you're wondering what's going to happen. Sometimes like somebody might get poisoned. You're going to wonder if they're going to die or make it to the end where they get cured. There's all kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether as a player or as a watcher of a game, 
if that excitement of not knowing what's going to happen isn't there, it is, it's less than it could be, I would say. So it's true, but you, but you can get that in both kinds of play, right? Like, I mean, sometimes we play to find out what happens, but we use the randomizers of the dice to see um, what, what will happen. Like, you never know when a crit's going to go the wrong way, right? Like, but but I'm with with the whole uh, balanced encounters thing. Like, if you have balanced encounters, you're really tying your hands about certain things. Yeah, I would say after third level, if you go strictly by the dungeon master's guide and counter building rules, you have a very slight chance of doing permanent damage to a party. First level, it's it's easy to do. Second level, probably by third, fourth level. It's it's tough. I mean, you can work really, really hard to put together the right combination of monsters to to do it. Um, but it's it's not reg. I would say it's not. I think it's a little bit better with uh, the changes in Xanathar's. Yes, I I agree that that makes it a little little easier to do. But you know, but as someone who has made, I would say at this point, countless numbers of encounters in Fifth Edition. <laughs> um, yeah, going by those rules. It's it's difficult to challenge a party. I uh, I would agree. So so you know when you are creating your encounters, when you're creating your adventures, when you're creating your campaign, um, you know that's just something that we have to be aware of, and think about what our players want to find just the right mix of playing it as a game versus doing something maybe outside the rules that make it more interesting to the players and as, as the ongoing story. I agree. So did you have any other thoughts, Chris, on, on this uh, topic? Not really. Like we covered a whole bunch of it and I think it's, it's pretty clear that you can mm-hmm. really, it just depends on what kind of game you want to play. Right. And there's a bunch of different ways to tune your game. That's the nice thing about this version of D and D is that there's so many modules and so we, so many ways to tune your game that you can get a very different play style and play experience out of it, depending on what you want. Mm-hmm. I always think back to it was fourth edition during the fourth edition days. I was running a game at a convention, a fourth edition D and D game. And I got a table of players and, you know, we started going on and I gave them the little introduction and, and a combat was one of the first things that happened almost immediately starting kind of in media race. And so they were all excited and they got through the combat and they were, you know, very efficient and quick. And, and so then I started into the role-playing part that came after and they're like, let's just skip that. And I was, excuse me. And they're like, we just want the next combat. And I'm like, but the story, and like, we, we don't even care what the story is. Just set us up and throw the next monsters at us. And it turns out that they were um, D and D minis players who just wanted to play a deeper D and D minis game. And I was perfectly fine. I I ratcheted up the difficulty and and you know really made it a tactical game. But it was just interesting to me to to have people willing to know what they want, just to come right out and say, "This is what we're here for. Let's do this." That's a yeah. I'm with you. Like that's completely legit. Yeah. I have nothing to add. That's the problem. Like there's no there's no other comment that I can make. <laughs> no. Right. I, I'm just I'm just trying to you know highlight that there isn't a wrong way. Yeah. As long as you're you're having fun. Now there is a wrong way if you want to play a certain way 
and you play counter to that. You know, if you want to play strictly by the rules and then you break the rules, then you're, you're defeating your own, you know, your own desires there. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about expectations at that point. Exactly. Right? Like if everybody has expectations for something and you're not actually meeting those expectations, that becomes problematic. So like we were saying before, it's really just about understanding what, what end of the spectrum you want your game to be at or what kind of mix you want your game to be at. Like you can even have, um, different encounters in your game where some are theater of the mind and more loosey goosey and some are really boiled down strategy type stuff. We bust out the map and put it down there and still have those cool narrative beats that go along with it. Like I played fourth edition for forever and I used the maps and minis and all that good stuff. And I had plenty of great story beats and whatnot there. Mm-hmm. I also have played uh theater of the mind stuff where there was um, a lot of, a conversation about rules and, and then rulings to go along with them. But, you know, like when skill checks get used, there's certain ways that skill checks get used. Yep. And you, you sort of should be adhering to rules in some way, shape, or form when doing those things. Yep. It's it's interesting because in the next, in two weeks, I'll be at uh, Running Gag, mm-hmm. uh, running Return of the Lizard King in full. Mm. And then two weeks after that, I'll be at Winter Fantasy, also running Return of the Lizard King in full. And I'm very interested to see what sort of players I get, what sort of what sort of running I will have of each kind as I take in, you know, the desires of the the players, you know, how much I end up using a map versus how much I end up running theater of the mind, what parts I end up skipping or glossing over based on the feel I get from the players. Um, I always love that running the same adventure over and over again to see the different ways that it can be played more like a, a strategy game, more like a story engine uh, and and everything in between. So it's uh, it's just fascinating to me. And I think it's more fascinating is the, the game itself. I think we have down and the more we see these streaming games that kind of use the rules, but kind of don't. Um, if we will see more rules come out in how to use the game more as a story engine. And I, I don't know if it would take a different game to do that. In other words, making D&D slightly different than what it is, or if ways can be shown to to do both equally well. Uh, it's tricky, right? A lot of it's tricky because of how some of the stuff is just built into the game, but it can be done. Like I've been doing it for, for however long the games existed at this point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not super hard and we've been seeing it all over the place. Like you don't really have to change the rules very much. I, I run the game pretty much as it's written right. with that stuff. It just gets harder as you get higher in levels and you're like, especially with area of effect attacks and things like that. That's where you get really fussy with it. But there's even some good advice in the dungeon master's guide for how to handle that kind of stuff. No, I'm, I'm even going further. I'm talking about making making a version of D&D that matches what we watched when we watched uh, Acquisitions Incorporated in the theater. Yeah, I um you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean that that game played a lot more like Dungeon World than it did like Dungeons and Dragons. Ex- exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just interesting to 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 throw out there to think about. It is. All right. Well, uh, let's get out of here then. Let's do a few Patreon shoutouts before we finish up. Thank you everybody so much for listening, especially GM Gerrymander, Eric Bonds the Gator, Sean Gilgore, Eric Jefferson, Wayne the Polydian Chan, Garrett Cologne, and John Carney. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link Patreon page on the website. And for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout out. Or for $4.50 a month. Is that still correct, Chris? Yeah, that's correct. All right. Wow. 50, 50 cents off. At four fifty a month, you not only get a shout out, but you also get to see our show notes. And we try to give patrons little extras wherever we can. And I just want to throw in, thank you so much if you're a patron. And if you're a regular listener, it would really help us if you would throw a few bucks our way. 
you know, keep things going to, to get us a little extra time to uh, dig deeper, maybe create some things for you. Mm-hmm. It would be awesome. Absolutely. There's actually a thing at uh, our next Patreon goal, which is 480, where I think we actually have to make stuff. Yes, we have to give you. We have to. We have to give you things at that point. We don't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> uh, another 80 bucks or so a month, and we will be actually giving you, giving you good stuff you can use in your games. Yeah, with uh, monthly too. Mm-hmm. Like we have to. Exactly. It's, it's it's in the contract. That's right. Anyways, <laughs> uh, if you can help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. They help even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts because many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows. And if you give us a good rating, that makes us more visible. We can send the message of D&D to more people. It's very true. So, Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. I'm also on Facebook or on the Down With D&D G Plus community, which is growing and growing and growing. I think we've got four or five new people just in the last couple of days. So thank you for joining. Thank you for con- continuing the conversation. Mm-hmm. How about you, Chris? Where can I find you? Uh, you can catch me at Down With D&D on Twitter or at Mr. Mark. That's the network Twitter. You can also just go to the website and leave a uh, comment on the show. And you can also catch other great shows such as this one, Cypher Speak. The Cypher Speak podcast is an engaging discussion that covers the evocative and inclusive setting of the Cypher system. Darcy and Troy are entertaining co-hosts who offer GM advice and ideas for use in your Cypher games and other games, really. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, buddy old pal, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters but not get any XP for it. <gasps> You're down with D&D. Yeah, you you're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. We're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me.